0: Holiness. It seems like this word gets treated like a dirty word in our culture, as though holiness itself were a bad thing. And that is the trick of our spiritual enemy who wants to separate us from God through any and all means. This includes the principle of holiness that we find in the Bible used to describe God, such as in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, which asks, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? awesome, and glorious deeds, doing wonders. In this verse, we see that God's nature of holiness is a source of awe and fascination to the people of Israel. One quick note that I want you to understand is when they mention the word gods, they're using the Hebrew word el, which means people in position and those with power and authority. This is also the same words used to say, sorry, let me try that again. This is also the same word used to refer to demons and false gods, such as when they talk about idols. So what exactly is holiness? Time a word study. So the Hebrew word is kodesh, and it means to be separate or sacred. You can also see that it has the implied meaning of being different from others of similar stature. And that applies well to a Christian's life, because of what it says about us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter is quoting scripture from the Old Testament regarding God dressing the nation of Israel, saying, You shall be holy, for I am holy. The scripture being quoted is Leviticus 11.44. Now, while Leviticus has been jokingly called the most boring book of the Old Testament, it's still quite informative since it's all about the laws of ceremonial purity and legal justice. This so-called boring book Shows the high standards that God demands, and helps us to truly understand the need for Jesus to bear a sin offering. It is only through the covering of His of His blood on the cross that we are able to be made pure in God's eyes. Now, going back to the words being used, the verse in Leviticus uses the word kadosh, which is also means to be set apart, just like kodesh. As I write this, I'm getting the feeling that these are a derivative word from a base word. One of them is a derivative. That's not important right now. Going to the New Testament, the Greek word that Paul uses is hagios. I'm sorry, I mean Peter. You have to understand, if you're talking the New Testament, it's very easy to get people mixed up. especially Paul and Peter, because Paul wrote almost half the New Testament. So and for those of you keeping track of how many times it goes off script at home, point for you. Now, going back to the Greek word, that is hagios, which also means to be set apart or sacred, but is also used to describe being pure in spirit. When I started this, I said that holiness seems to be treated like a dirty word in our modern vernacular. And from speaking with my pastor about this, they pointed out that it is because of how it's been used in the past with holiness movements that have become legalistic because they say you can't, do, and these are the ones that say you can't do work on Sunday, women must be wear dresses, you can't wear shorts that go above your knees, and certainly if you want to, you keep this list going with other examples from real life. What my pastor pointed out is that these moments of well intentioned law, of these moments, while well-intentioned, lost, or rather forgot something about holiness. It comes from the heart of who we are. Their focus was on the outward appearance of holiness, and thus got caught in the trap of legalism. The very same trap that made the Pharisees of Jesus' day and age stumble and caused others to do so as well. Legalism can be easily described as following the rule of the law while missing out on the spirit of the law a simple illustration would be working on the Sabbath day. A day that was given to us so that we could take a break from all our work and learn to rest while also focusing our minds on the Lord who enabled us to do our work. When Jesus healed the man with a lame hand, the Pharisees were furious because he worked and did a miracle on the Sabbath. But in the process, they forgot that the Sabbath was a day to glorify God. Those who had the proper heart, worshipped and praised God for the healing that had been provided, but those who didn't have their heart in alignment with God became angry that their loss had been broken. Legalism is a dangerous thing because we can easily, so easily, let our own set of habits from what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. The habit becomes a substitute for God in our own lives, and it becomes an idol. Firstly, I want to say that God is not one who only values one thing, your actions and your or your heart's condition value both of he values both of these things in our lives, but the focus is on changing the heart because it causes the outward actions to change. There are verses in Scripture that talk about being able to properly judge another person, but before we get offended,ly remind you. Let me remind you that the verb form to judge is not synonymous with condemnation. It means to make an assessment of or to come to a conclusion based on available information relevant to your situation. And in those verses, we are shown that the actions a person takes will reveal much of what is in their heart. As humans, we are forced to use what we can see from a person's actions, because we can't do what God can do. That is look at the heart directly. When God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint the new king of Israel, after Saul had lost favor in the eyes of God, went to Bethlehem in Judea to the house of Jesse. Once there, he saw the eldest of Jesse's eight sons, Eliab. Samuel saw the man and thought that this was the next king. But God told him through the Holy Spirit that he mustn't use the appearance of a man to judge them, because this man had been rejected by God due to his heart's condition. The account of this is recorded in First Samuel chapter sixteen, verse seven, and in that section, the word for heart is. Levav, a word that means the inner man or the mind and soul of a person, including how a person thinks and thus how they make their decisions. Making a decision means that we consider what is important to us and how we want to achieve it. There are many factors that play into this, such as what we value, how we see things in life, whether we are willing to receive other input, whether we will whether we will put our own desires aside to do what's better in the long run. Is our spirit humble enough to submit to God? This issue is what caused Saul to fail and is why it was so important for the person in charge to have the right attitude towards God. If you look at the case studies of David and Saul, we see what happens when a person is pursuing holiness in their lives. Saul didn't pursue God with the same fervor that David did if he even made an extra effort to pursue God. David is called the man after God's own heart. He made mistakes with the primary one being his affair with Bathsheba and killing her husband to hide the fact that he impregn- that he impregnated her. Sorry, the teleprompter going a bit fast on me today. Now the key point of these uh what's we're looking for? The key point of this situation is how David reacted to being confronted with his disobedience to the commands of God. David committed adultery, which is a no-no in God's eyes. And King Saul also broke God's commands when he was ordered to attack and kill off all the Amalekites and leave none alive. He was not allowed to leave... He was not allowed... He was not to allow... Sorry. I can't even read my own writing. It's one of those days. So as I was saying... It was not to allow the livestock, and neither man nor woman, or even young child, to be spared. Before you say that was unfair of God. That's right. Before you say that this was unfair of God, let me remind you of some missing context, and it is that these people continually attacked Israel with the same amount of cruelty ever since they left Egypt. This is at least a few centuries, and the Amalekites had received all this time to turn from their wickedness, but they hadn't done so. And so, by God telling Saul to do this, it was him returning a justice to a punishment equal of what they had done to God's people. Now, Saul didn't do this, and instead kept the best of the livestock for himself, and kept the king and queen alive as trophies of war. Samuel comes in after the battle and delivers the message of the Lord's judgment because of Saul's disobedience, after he tries to justify his actions. David, however, when he was confronted with his disobedience, confronted by his affair with Bathsheba, he confesses and repents with bitterness. In the Psalms, he famously proclaims, Against you and you alone have I sinned. David saw and understood the true error of his ways, and it is because he was genuine in his repentance that forgiveness was granted. David valued holiness before God, above all things in his life. And it is seen how the Lord blessings in, let me, sorry, the script was getting ahead of me. And it is because David valued God, above all things in his life, it is seen the blessings the Lord provided him but it's only because how much he valued God in his life. It wasn't that he was going to value God to get blessings, but that he valued God and God decided to bless him. Hi everybody, I'm currently editing this process getting rid of all the empty gaps from the teleprompter messed up on me and I had to speed forward and all those things so this is a nice, concise, smooth thing to listen to. But one thing I must insert here is that I am in no way promoting the prosperity gospel, that the moment you submit to Christ, everything's going to be easy. That is a complete lie that has been put forth by hell, that's been put forth by the enemy who wants to deceive people into what Christianity is not about, to give them a false idea. That's something that I had tried to mention in my first recording of this. It's just that it wasn't so clear when I did that then. So I'm adding it here now so that I'm able to be more clear about what I want to say. And that's why it feels a little abrupt changing from there to now, and that, then we're going to move back to the initial recording. That's all I want to say. Sorry if this is a bit abrupt, but this is what i got to do. Thanks again for listening. Another thing is that you're not going to be perfect just because you decide to pursue holiness above all things, above all else, your life won't be perfect. In verse 15, in chapter 15, of, sorry, let me restart that. Jesus states it about his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 19, that those who follow him will be hated by the world because they don't belong to it, for they have been called out of the world to be different, even while they are in it. So, I'm going to share a real-life example. I want to say it was my sophomore year of high school when my lifestyle of holiness received some front-and-center attention. Re- I did wrestling, and on one of the bus rides home, had taken the stand against some behaviors that others were doing. A bit later that week at practice, some people were asking me questions. Some of the people who asked me questions had a genuine curiosity about what being a Christian meant to my lifestyle. They really want to know they were genuine whereas others were trying to trap me with my own words and make me say I was being a hypocrite why I stand on the bus and the whole aspect that exists thanks to the Holy Spirit I was able to sidestep those um I was able to sidestep those entrapments in much the same way. The Holy Spirit has done in the past for other people, as recorded in scriptures. But it's fascinating as I look back on it how they ask questions about how I lived my life. They asked if I drank, since we lived in Germany, the drinking age was down to 16 instead of 21 in the States. And one of the girls who was also in my health class asked if being a asked if being a Christian meant I was sexually abstinent. And the subject of sex came up. Just because if they're asking me questions, they're gonna ask me all the questions, comfortable and uncomfortable. Since still like, okay, he's comfortable with this somewhat sensitive somewhat personal question. Let's see if we can't ask him about something else. See if we can make him squirm. I don't think that was their um purpose. But that I'm just adding a little humor and hyperbole to this. So take a look take that with a little grain of salt. But the questions are real. My speculation as to why, that can be completely my speculation, and it's no way reflective of them. Hey, and if you're keeping track, that's another time. No, wait, that's three times I've now got off script to add more detail. You really gotta tell people about these podcasts because they're really more fun to listen to than they are to read as a blog posts. I really gotta tell you that. Now, when they were asking me questions about the subject of sex, and if it was abstinent, the answer was a simple yes. And when they asked me why, I decided the biblical teachings on sex being meant for married man and woman. I also, the same thing about why I didn't drink, stating that there are reasons about not being drunk and things like that, as we're born against in scripture. The final thing I want mention today is that there's a connection between holiness and humility. And when it feels awkward to not do what everyone else seems to be doing, because you're living a life before God, I want to tell you that it's worth it. While I've never been in other places where it is a lot more awkward, I haven't been with you or where you've gone through, where it feels hard, but what I will say is that our behaviors become a form of silent witness that is seen by others even if you don't say anything. And it's not just your behaviors, but also your way of speaking that has the same impact those around you. Holiness is a matter of the heart. The more you pursue God with the desire to grow more into his image and likeness, the more it will impact the way you live your life in both the good and hard times. You will be able to say genuinely, praise the Lord at all times of your life, praising him not because of what he does for you, but because of who he is. In First Peter chapter 3, we are commanded to keep a clear conscience before God so that should we become slandered and reviled, the people who did so are put to shame. We have done nothing wrong, and God will uphold that before others, so long as we keep going in His ways. But Peter also follows this up by saying, if it should be God's will that we suffer, then it is better to suffer for doing good in the eyes of God than to suffer for doing evil. And humility is a vital discipline to develop for this to be possible. There is a tie between humility and holiness, as the former allows for the holiness to be developed within us. Humility enables us to acknowledge our need for the spiritual transformation promised to us in Romans 12:2, which states, Do not be conformed, dear brothers, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds in Christ, Then you will know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Scripture often uses the metaphor of our our spirit being like valuable gold that needs to be refined in a fire to have its true beauty revealed. While most everyone knows and understands that it takes a lot of heat to refine the gold in the crucible, it seems that something else has also been forgotten by them. Arriving at the crucible is only the final step of the process, so to speak. Gold ore needs to be found, extracted, broken into smaller chunks, and then delivered to the refiner. And the refining process can take several heatings before it's truly ready for its purpose. And all of this is to help you understand that our development requires patience and trust in who God is. In order to endure, we need to have the proper mindset that is determined by our mental focus. Paul understood the importance of being aware and decisive of our thoughts. That's why in Philippians, he reminds the believers in chapter 4, verse 8, to focus their minds on what is true, honorable, just, pure, things that are lovely, the things that are commendable according to the standards of God, and anything truly worthy of praise. Focusing on these things allows for the holiness to grow. And have dominion in our lives, gaining a stronghold that we can take shelter in when we go through those times of struggle. He tells them to focus on what is true because God is truth, and what He said He will do is going to happen. God is honorable, and the rest of the adjective in, Paul, in Peter's list I mean, Paul, in Paul's list. Score another point for how many times I mess up in reading this thing. If you're keeping track at home, that's four times. Now, going back to what I was talking about, the way God is described as true, honorable, just, lovely, pure—all these things that help us here to focus on, because we are to focus, because it focuses us on God, when we want the truest, most uncorrupted form of those good things. In Psalm ninety-one is where i'm going to end this by reminding us that psalm 91 is an interesting verse i mean chapter because it seems to be divided into two parts the first one but they both solidify the message the first part is what the lord will do for the one who has pursued him genuinely and the second half is what the lord says about them as a quick message to them in verse 14 i feel it ties everything together and remember This is the section where God is speaking directly. And he says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Until next time, courage and Godspeed, my friends. Courage and Godspeed.